0: Alright, so we're in the book of James, you can go ahead and turn to James chapter 3 if you've got a copy of God's Word with you. If not, you can find one in the pew back if you'd like. We are going to have, I think, most of the scripture on the screen too, so, um, and if you're brand new to to all this stuff in, in the pew Bibles, there's in the front a table of contents, it'll tell you where the book of James is, and you can turn there, and then we're going to be in chapter 3. Uh, that's the the big numbers are the chapters, the small numbers are the verses, and um, so that's how we can... Uh, find our way there, but you guys know what this is? That is a poisonous frog. It is what's that? A golden poison dart frog. That's correct. Uh, and I didn't tell him that ahead of time. We just my, my son Asher and me. We love watching uh, animal animal documentaries. You know, um, they're they're super fun. But the most poisonous animal is not a snake or a spider. It is this beautiful little frog. Most frogs produce something called skin toxins. That'll give you an idea of how big it is, okay? Um, so it, the, they produce skin toxins, but the most poison of the dart frogs is from Central or South America. Uh, he's the most pos- potent of all. He's the golden poisonous frog. Uh, the, the, the name of him is Phyllobatus terribilis, in case you ever are on Jeopardy. Um, so he contains, he contains enough poison to kill 20,000 mice or 10 grown people. It is probably the most poisonous animal on earth, and it's toxic. Uh, it's, toxic um, it's dangerous to even touch it. That's the level of toxin. So I, this person, that's why their face isn't shown. They were, they were never seen again. However, all right, this thing is small, right, and it's dangerous. Who knows what this is? This is a mosquito. Did you know mosquitoes cause more human suffering than any other organism? Over 1 million people worldwide die from mosquito-borne disease every single year. And here are some of the diseases, and I'm sure you've heard of some of these. Things like malaria, dengue, yellow fever, West Nile virus, Zika virus, right? And, and there are others that affect you know animals and, and things like that. But mosquitoes are absolutely dangerous. More dangerous than poison dart frogs. There's one creature on the planet that far outstrips both of these for the death toll or the destruction that there is. Do you know what they are? Cartoon people, correct? No, just people. You, you, you nailed it. Um, people with tongues. People with mouths. You, you've heard the statement, the pen is mightier than the sword while the tongue is mightier than all. And James is going to talk to us today about how dangerous that is. He's going to give us uh, some ideas about uh, what we need to think about that and, and how we need to deal with that. And so that's what our text is going to be about today. And if you're here this morning, somebody in your life has hurt you by what they've said. And chances are, if you're here this morning, you have hurt somebody else by what you have said. And so this message is going to be for all of us. Uh, but before we jump into that, let's, let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we praise your name. Lord God, we confess that we are by our very nature sinful. We recognize, as Isaiah did, that we are a people of unclean lips. We bring you praise one day and curse our neighbor the next. And we thank you that you are patient and long-suffering with us. We thank you for using your word to create us, sending your word to save us, letting your word to live within us. We pray that today your word might change us, renew us, and restore us. Father, we need your spirit to renew our minds and to put us in order. We also, Father, we lift up those in our family that are sick, that are hurting, that are suffering. or Those in this body of believers that uh, go out on the prayer chain for different things, Uh, we bring them before you and we ask that you would uh, have your will be done, that you would bind up the brokenhearted and um, bring joy to, to those who are in suffering. Our hearts go with them as as we miss them in our company. It's, it's in your name we do pray. Amen. So I want to take you here first before we jump to James. Uh, you can just look on the screen if you want, unless you want to turn back and forth, or you can write down, if you're a note taker, you can write these down on there. But uh, Jesus said, but What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. He says in Matthew 12, uh, 36, I I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. And I don't know about you, but I forget these scriptures all too often. And unfortunately, uh, I use my tongue in ways that it should not always be used. And, and I'm sure in a room this size, I'm probably the only one that struggles with that. So, But James, earlier in his letter, he told us in, in 119, Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so James, the, the brother of Jesus, has the same idea and flushes this out for us. And, and then he also tells us, and, and this, by the way, um, this has been the one that has really plagued me as we go through the book of James. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I don't mean to cause any kind of stumbling block for you, but I I do mean for us to handle the word of God seriously. And so I want to pose the question to you simply, in, in part, to be honest, so I don't suffer by myself. On a weekly basis, would you say that based on the things that come out of your mouth, is your religion worthless? Or are you living out and speaking out the way that Christ would have us to do that? And so what James is going to do is he's going he's to give us some illustrations. And, and then I, I think, uh, or at least what I'm getting out of this, what I want to do is give us some encouragement this morning. Amen? And so here's what, uh, if you're a note taker, uh, the first thing is, uh, he, he shows us a distinct standard. So that's that first blank there, a distinct standard. Here's the standard that he gives us. In James 3, 1 and 2, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And then he goes on in 2 to say, For we all stumble in many ways. I'm glad he put that in there. I'm so thankful that, that these uh, uh, writers of the Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, say things like, We. It makes me feel so much better about who I am. And it should make you feel a little bit better about who you are. Because James, the brother of Jesus, who's about to write such a scathing rebuke of the human tongue says, we, praise the Lord for the we's in scripture, right? And so, so we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in, his, in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So this distinct standard, the first thing we see here, again, if you're a, a note taker, is the, the strictness in teaching. So there is a reason why it is my personal preference to go uh what to so there's different teaching styles there's two main teaching styles which is uh expo, expositional expository preaching which is which is what i prefer to do which is where you take a book of the bible and you start at chapter 1, verse 1, and then you work your way through that book for however long that takes you. Um, Revelation is going to take us a little while. Hopefully, we're going to start that and finish that next year. No guarantees on finishing it next year. Um, and actually, the book of Revelation is one of those where I'm, I'm like, you know, come, Lord Jesus, come, and just get me out of this all together, and, and we'll just be done. And, and then we won't, we, won't, we won't have need for that. We can just keep going. But I digress. The strictness of teaching. And so you can take it expositionally, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all the way through, or there's topical preaching. Both can be done biblically. Both uh, can be done wrongly. But what he tells us here is that not many of us should become teachers. Why? Because we're going to be judged with greater strictness. But here's the deal. He's not just talking to me this morning. He, 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 what he's not saying is just pastors, just preachers, just Sunday school teachers. No, 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 no. All of us are to be disciple-makers, are we not? All of us are to go into the world, make disciples, and teach them, and this is what Jesus said, right? Teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. So what does that make you a teacher if you're a Christian? At least it should be. And so what James is saying here is we have to, we must, hold the word of God to a standard that is strict. God's word is holy, God's word is pure. God's word is authoritative. God's word is the final standard of truth, bar none. Some people say, you know, facts don't care about your feelings, which is, which is true. You know, one plus one is two. Doesn't matter how you feel about that. Scripture is in very much the same way. He says, not many of you should become teachers, for you know that you're going to be judged with greater stickness because God's word is holy. God's word should be used, taught, cited, spoken truthfully, wholly, reverently. We should not just be flippantly throwing out Bible verses. Listen, brother or sister in Christ, and I am guilty of what I'm about to tell you. Let us repent of this. Don't shoot people with Bible bullets, okay? There there are times that we can speak a word of truth. There are times that we must speak a word of truth. In fact, I would say, Probably more likely, we we tend to shoot people with Bible bullets on Facebook or on Twitter, which is now X or whatever it is, or or things like that. And in person, we tend to remain silent when we actually should be saying something. But we need to be careful with how we are using God's word. It is a double-edged sword. And the term there that's often used, and if you've been in church for a while, though. Preachers will often use the terminology of a scalpel. It is used to both cut out the cancer, but also it is supposed to be a healing procedure that you're using to cut the cancer out. Does, does, does that make sense? But also, not only is there a strictness in teaching, he tells us there is a standard in speaking, as we saw there. He says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. This is a a quote out of a commentary that I like. I want to read this to you. It says, The person who can honestly claim that he never says anything wrong or out of place, James says, can consider himself perfect. A person who can control his tongue can can control his entire being. Surely, James wrote that as a personal tribute to the Lord Jesus. That wondrous person had lived with him in the same home in Nazareth for many years. He had attended the same school and synagogue and had worked beside him at the carpenter's bench. Then for three and one-half years, he had traversed the length and breadth of the promised land, teaching, encouraging, debating, rebuking, and warning. How well James knew it. He and Jesus had grown up together. Looking back on that experience, James pondered the significance of it all. He had never heard Jesus speak a crossword or tell a lie. He had never heard him answer back. He had never heard him say anything suggestive or vulgar or say anything of which afterward he would have felt ashamed. He had never heard him speak angrily in a fit of temper or say anything that called for an apology. On the contrary, everything that Jesus had ever said had been wise, loving, kind, and true. The Apostle John tells us in, first, uh, in John 1, 1 and 14, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And for 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what James is saying here in this first point, really, of this distinct standard is the question that I have for you, do you want to grow in Christ-likeness? I mean, do you desire to be a follower of Christ? Do you desire to be Christ to those around you, for those people in your life to see you and say, hey, that must be what Christ is like. If you desire that, and I hope that you do, it is my prayer for you, it's my prayer for myself, if you desire that, let's begin with working on what we say and how we say it. Let's begin with that. Because it it appears to me that the way James paints this is when we begin there, everything else begins to fall in line too. And so if you're thinking about the, the tip of the spear, working on what we say is a really, really good place to start. Next thing he does though, after he gives us this this standard, this strictness, he, he tells us we, this is a devastating sentiment that he's about to deliver. So this would be the next thing if you're a note filler. He's going to give us three illustrations of explanation and emphasis. Yeah, I did that on purpose. James 3, uh, 3 through 6, they're going to click through as I read so you can follow along. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So, of the sub points, if you're filling those out, the first thing he tells us is we cannot underestimate the tongue. We underestimate it all the time. It might be little, but it's meaningful. You see, scripture shows us that words have power. Words reveal hearts. Words can tear up and words can destroy. Relationships can be ruined by words, families can be torn apart by words. Uh, Words can actually drive people to harm themselves or harm others. I'm going to tell you a story. It's an unfortunate story. It's a true story, and, and it, it grieves my heart. When I was a young man, I, I, uh, so, um, I, I've always been able to talk well, the gift of gab or whatever you want to call it. And when I was a young man, I used to use that uh, gift for, for wickedness. I was always very quick with a comeback or some kind of a snide remark or whatever. And I distinctly remember um, two separate people that I believe that I've wounded very deeply very deeply. Um, One person uh, that that was, I I ended up trying to track them down on Facebook to to try to make amends and try to apologize um, unsuccessfully. And the other one I haven't found yet, but I'll never forget when I was, I was probably in sixth grade and I made that junior, a, a junior boy cry on our bus for the things that I said to him. That still stays with me today. Do not underestimate the power of the tongue. How many of us have things of regret from in a fit of anger saying something to somebody that we immediately wish that we could put that toothpaste back in the tube, so to speak? And there's no way of doing that. We underestimate the tongue, not only for wickedness, but for good. How much good could we do? Just look around you just for a minute in a a room this size. How much good could you do if you just simply stopped on a Sunday just to give somebody a word of encouragement or to pray for somebody, to ask somebody, hey, how can I pray for you? And then pray for them right then. Or to call them on the phone. I mean, we're updating our directory, right? (laughs) to send a letter of encouragement or to send a text or to send a phone call. And, and even if you leave a voicemail, just to say something to them that would be of the Lord to encourage them. Hey, sister or brother, I'm praying for you. I'm, I want you to know that you're loved, that you're, that you're valued, that, that you matter here at Allegan Bible Church, that you matter to me, that I'm, I'm glad you're a part of this, this body of believers. When's the last time you did that with your spouse or your children or your grandchildren? or your weird uncle, right? <laughs> Second thing uh, he tells us in this, in this section, is that uh, this is the uncontrolled tongue. So we see illustrations here. First illustration is the underestimated tongue. It's a small thing. It does a lot of things. The other illustration he tells us here is this is what it looks like when there's an uncontrolled tongue. He says, look at the ships, right? They're so large. They're driven by these huge and powerful wing uh, winds and they've got this itty bitty little rudder that's down there in the water that maneuvers them wherever they can go. Or he talks about this fire. This uncontrolled tongue causes damage, destruction, and desolation. It is the uncontrolled tongue that causes this. Do you notice that from the text? It boasts of great things. It's a small spark, but it sets the forest ablaze. How fast can fire get out of control if there's a heavy wind? I mean, real quick, right? Right? It wasn't too long ago where we saw these 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 pictures on the news of forest fires that seem to be happening all over the globe, but primarily for us uh, over in Canada because the wind was blowing down there, and then over on the other side on, on California where it was just going ablaze. Do you, do you remember, especially when we did the Camp of Champs thing last year, where there was air quality warnings because of the level of smoke that was in the air from way far over there? How far and how devastating that was. That is an uncontrolled fire. I love fires in the fire pit. Don't judge me. I let my kids play with fire because I, I love fire too. We all, we're all a bunch of little pyros in the backyard, whatever. It's great fun until it gets out of control, right? When it's out of control, it's no longer fun. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Is that not what we should practice? He tells us uh, again a little bit later and a little bit before today's message, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Consider the damage done to you or by you in the life through the power of the uncontrolled tongue and what that leads to. So the underestimated tongue leads to being an uncontrolled tongue, which then leads finally to, believe it or not, an unholy tongue. James 3, 6 tells us this. He says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among the members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and setting on, set on fire by hell. Do you understand that the fall began with a tongue? Now that tongue might have been forked, but a tongue nonetheless, correct? Correct. In the garden, was it not through the power of speech that Satan came to humanity and sought to deceive them from the word of God? Was it not Satan who even quoted the word itself? God has said, but... First Timothy 4, 1-2 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to de- deceitful spirits and teachings of demons though the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You see, an unholy tongue speaks unholy things. An unholy tongue will even deliver doctrines of demons. We need to recognize the depth of wickedness that one can perpetrate with the tongue. And so my point is really this. An uncontrolled tongue is not uncontrolled. You're either a son of God or a son of Satan. You're either a daughter of God or a daughter of Satan. The tongue that is uncontrolled is is not uncontrolled. We wage war not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. I'm going to tell you a quick story about four men who decided to share their personal weaknesses with one another. Uh, Don't worry, CR group, it's not from us. So the story about these four men who decided to share their personal weaknesses with one another, the first man confessed that his was a fatal weakness was kleptomania. Uh, He was a compulsive thief, and usually he pilfered only small items, but the fact remained that he stole things. The second man confided that he was an alcoholic, he was a secret drinker and he managed to hide this weakness, but there it was. He, he was a drunk. The third man admitted that he had a weakness for women and that he too had been able to conceal it so far, but he was ashamed of it and he had indulged in numerous clandestine affairs. Then came the fourth man. The others looked at him expectantly. What was his secret vice? Well, I'll tell you how it is, fellas, he said. I don't steal, I don't drink, I don't cheat on my wife or anything like that. But I am a terrible gossip and I cannot wait to get out of this room. (laughs) You see, a tongue talks about unholy things. And the destruction that it perpetrates can be all too real. And so that brings us to this dangerous situation. This is a dangerous situation James tells us about in this next two verses in verse 7 and 8 of chapter 3. He says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's the end of the sermon. Go in peace. No, it's not. But this is a dangerous situation, isn't it? So what he's done so far is he's told us very clearly, look, we all have a serious problem. The serious problem is our tongues are wicked. And the situation we find ourselves in is dangerous because he tells us there's really nothing that I can do about it or you. He tells us all these beasts, these birds, these reptiles, he gives us the illustration ahead uh, earlier, right, of, of the horse and the bit in its mouth. And it's amazing the things that we see out there, right? Uh, I was watching cartoons w- when we were out of our house, of course I was, and I, I got to watch uh, the Boomerang Channel, so it was the Jetsons, right, and in one of these episodes of the Jetsons, um, you, you, you know, George, I, I think it was his son Spacely, and uh, what's his dog's name? I always forget the dog's name. Astro, yeah, Astroy. Uh, uh, Astroy and, and Spacely, uh, or is it Space? Uh, whatever. Anyway, there were there were fleas, there were space fleas that uh, asteroid had, had gotten upon him and they were able to train them and they were like circus fleas, right? And so it was great fun and it was an amazing thing. And then the talent scout had come and then put them on TV and took the fleas away. And it was sad for the Jetson family because these fleas had become part of their family. Now, I don't know if there's really a uh, space flea circus somewhere out there. It'd be amazing if there is, but I know it's amazing all the things that we can teach animals to do. We can teach them to do all kinds of things, James says. And we've seen it. You, we've seen YouTube, you can YouTube things, you watch cats play piano, or all kinds of stuff out there. But the dangerous situation, he tells us, there's one thing that we cannot seem to get a hold of, and that's our tongue. And that's why I struggle with this. This is what this has been so terrible for me as we've been getting through here, and this is why I'm inflicting the same pain on you this morning. He tells us, if you can't control your tongue, your religion is worthless too. And so now I am left, and we are now left in this dangerous situation. What are we to do? I find myself saying the same thing that Paul does in, seven, in Romans seven twenty four. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But I want for you to not lose hope and continue on with me in today's message because I want to give you, as I think James does, a divine support, which that's what we need. We need to divine support, and um, James talks a little bit about this, or, or at least I'm going to use this to jump off of, from what James talks about here in, in James 3, and they're going to click through as I read, but James 3, 9 through 12 says, with it, talking about our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers, he says, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, where's the hope in that, pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. The hope in it is not found directly in this passage. It's alluded to in several of the things that James says, and I hope that you're catching on to. If you've been in in the Bible for a while, if you've been in church for a while, there's some some themes that kind of go throughout Scripture, one of which is this idea of olive trees. Another one is this idea of of vineyards and vines. Another one is this idea of water. We see that throughout Scripture, and so I want to point you to john chapter 4 10 through 14 and you can turn there or you can just write that down you can check me later but in the book of john 4 uh, 10 through 14 he says jesus answered her if you knew the gift of god and who it is that is saying to you give me a drink you would have asked me and he would give you living water the woman said to him sir you have nothing to draw with the well is deep where do you get that living water are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well to drink from. Uh, he, he gave it himself, uh, as did the sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. that water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And later in John, John seven thirty eight. I believe John remembering back to this or Jesus hearkening on this again or using the same theme says, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so the divine support we need is we need a new spring. We need a new vine. We need a new root. He says with this mouth we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse someone else. With this mouth come blessing and cursing. It shouldn't be. He said, does a spring pour forth fresh water and salt? It can only be one. He says a fig tree doesn't bear olives, a grapevine doesn't produce figs. And so what we need to understand is we need the divine support of Christ. We need to be remade. We need to be renewed. We need to be restored. And that is what James is writing this for, because he knew Jesus. And he wants us to know Jesus too. He wants to warn us of what a life looks like without Jesus. And so he gives us these illustrations of the danger of the tongue, unbridled, unconstrained, unrenewed with a relationship with Christ Jesus. But what scripture tells us is when we have Jesus, first of all, Jesus forgives. He forgives our past wrongs. Now, when I went on Facebook and I confessed my sins to that man, he responded with a lack of forgiveness. And that hurt. But that does not determine if I'm forgiven before my Father or not. He knows my heart. He knows my repentant attitude. He knows my desire for reconciliation. And so, through Jesus, I have been forgiven. And through Jesus, I will be forgiven. And through Jesus, you have been forgiven. And so if you're here this morning and you have been carrying the burden of the guilt and the shame of words that have cut and that have hurt, I want to tell you this morning, in Christ Jesus, you can have forgiveness of that if you will simply lay that at his feet. But not only does this divine support give us forgiveness, which is amazing in and of itself, but and wait, there's more, right? Jesus also helps us to restrain our tongue. I am happy to report to you that I still sin, but I sin a lot less with my mouth than I used to. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for sanctification. And I'm happy to report that one day I will be in the presence of the Lamb and all of my sin and stains will be removed and I will no longer have any speech that is sinful and I cannot wait for that day. Yeah. But Jesus restrains... The longer and the more that we put on Christ, the longer and the more we bring things to Christ, the more and more he has us and changes us and the way it changes our speech. And so what was true of you last year does not have to be true this year. What is true of you today does not have to be true of you next week or next month or tomorrow or even later today. You see, Jesus forgives us our past wrongs. He restrains us in our future speech and he renews. And this is the best because he makes it so that we no longer even want to speak and to talk the way that we used to. He does more than just forgive and he does more than just restrain. Restraining it is great, right? That's what we do for the horse. But how great is it When you see, this is going to sound weird, but go with me. How great is it when you see that a dog is being walked and it's not even on a leash? So follow the illustration with me, right? I, maybe I lost you, but, but let me explain. The point for the leash is to restrain it. The point of the leash is, is because, like, that owner might have confidence that the dog is a good dog, but they don't have such confidence that they can allow it to have completely free range. There must still be that little, you know, rope between you and that dog. Now, if you're a dog owner, you know as well as I do that not every situation is good for that, and a dog's an animal, not a human, and so that's where this breaks down a little bit. You can't trust him in every situation but go with me with my uh, illustration here. My illustration is thusly that Christ renews us so that leash, that restraining leash, eventually even that can dissipate and we will find ourselves changing our speech because our hearts will be new and because we have a new spring of water it is no longer salty that comes out. It's fresh. And because we have a new root, it's no longer thorns and thistles. It's, it's produce. It's good for building one another up. It's, it's a blessing to the Lord. He remakes us. So we can say with Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 5 through 7, and I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And when we have the Lord Jesus Christ do that for us, then we can follow along with what Scripture asks us to do in places like Colossians 4.6 when it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Or Ephesians 4.29 where it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Or in Proverbs, when we can say, Here, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. And then we can live exactly how James wants us to, as he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Not the law of condemnation, but the law of liberty because of us being a new creation and asking for that divine direction by Christ, he can remake all of us, even the parts of us that seem in and of themselves completely and utterly hopeless. Let's pray for that this morning. God, our Father in heaven, all of us in this room recognize the danger of our speech. All of us in this room, I believe, must come to you and confess that we, by nature, are sinful and our speech is not always as it should be. More often than we, what we like, we do not control our tongues. God, we would ask that you would change us. We would ask that you would forgive us, that you would restrain us, and that you would renew us. We ask that through your son that you would help us to lay down that guilt and that shame, but then to pick up your yoke to learn from you that you would help us to live in the Spirit, by the Spirit, that we would be quick to hear and slow to speak, and that we would fulfill that, what you have asked us to do, that we would be bringing salt and light and refreshing speech as the hands and feet of your Son in this world until you return. Lord, that is our prayer. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.